Uh, this evening I'd like to <coughs> speak a little bit about emotions and the relationship with emotions and the conception of emotions and uh, skill with emotions in the context, uh, mostly in the context of uh, imaginal practice and soul making. And say a few things about that. Um, one really general thing I'd like to say right from the start and actually emphasize, I think it's quite important, is um, maybe when we talk about anything at all, but certainly when we um, talk about emotions and we're being a, perhaps a little bit prescriptive in the sense of try and do this with the emotions or this is what's good with the emotions or this is what's healthy or this is what a healthy psychology is. So certainly, like I said, maybe when we talk about anything, but certainly when we talk about um, our views about emotions and uh, psychology, um, I think two things are really important to say about that. I don't think I've said this before. I can't remember when, maybe uh, some years ago in, in another retreat. Um, I don't think human beings will ever come to the end, uh, reach some final understanding of emotionality and, and emotional life and everything that's involved there. Uh, it's one of those rich, uh, endlessly rich, uh, endlessly fertile mysteries of human existence and, and of the soul. So that put, puts us in a relationship of necessary humility, inquiry, experimentation, uh, open-endedness with regards to um, emotion and also psychologies. And that's not to say that we then throw out any exploration or throw out any conceptions or ideas or conceptual frameworks or approaches, uh, not that at all, but that we <coughs> um, hold them in, in an awareness of an ongoing exploration that I don't think we'll ever finally figure out. Um, and hooray for that, I say. So that's one thing. The second thing, and it's related, is that, again, maybe when we talk about anything at all, but certainly when we talk about um, emotions and human psychology, and we, uh, you know, someone puts forth a certain, a certain kinds of ideals, or divides what's a healthy kind of emotional life, or approach to the emotions from an unhealthy and that kind of thing, um, to really be aware that uh, those kinds of views are um, <clears throat> enormously uh, culturally, historically uh, situated and therefore conditioned. So it's 
easy for us to read a contemporary psychology book that says something about emotions and psychology and how it works and what they are and where they come from and what they need to be and how what a healthy psych what a healthy emotional life looks like and all that or whatever it is and kind of assume that oh that's right and uh, perhaps other periods in history or other cultures are engaged in repression or um, hysteria or, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> um, I think there's an arrogance in that and uh, we, all of us, including myself, need, need to be careful about that kind of thing. Um, you only need to look around uh, in in contemporary cultures, cultures that exist in the world, and even subcultures like this particular Dharma culture or that particular Dharma culture, that's religious culture or that secular culture or whatever it is, <clears throat> this group, that group, um, let alone nationalities and ethnic heritages and all that kind of stuff, to see what a huge range there is of the sort of uh, what's regarded as healthy, appropriate, uh, helpful, normal um, uh, relationship with and conception with an attitude to, to emotions. So <clears throat> I'm going to say some stuff, I'm going to say, as I said, some things to uh, reflect on, to consider, to uh, work with perhaps, um, with regard to our soul-making paradigm. But the whole thing has, if you like, a huge caveat that I hope we can all remember um, about the cultural, historical situatedness and therefore uh, contingency of, of views and psychologies around uh, areas like emotion. Um, okay. So actually related to that... Um, <clears throat> it's interesting uh, who, how to say, who, uh, it might be, it might be given um, perhaps certain contemporary views about, again, healthy psychology, healthy emotional life, that... Um, some of the people uh, who are attracted to the soul-making dharma and this kind of paradigm are people who, let's say, tend to uh, be quite passionate, tend to love deeply. There was that psychology book, or was it from the 80s? Um, what is it? Women who love too much or something? I, I never read it. I, I actually don't know what it said. But um, they might be... It might be that such people, um, uh, one, uh, other people can ass might assume that their style of loving is uh, hysterical. There's something unhealthy, out of balance there, uh, just a bit off or too much or whatever. Um, but, and or it might be assumed that um, this person is that way. They they tend to be. Um, overly passionate or um, love uh, uh, too much, whatever that means, or too deeply or, or whatever, um, because of some early lack um, rooted in their 
upbringing, in their childhood, probably their family, etc., the mother, the father, whatever it is. And that's a reason. Um, and uh, what's, what's really being... Come, what's really driving this, quote, loving too much or, 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 or being so passionate is some kind of neediness, some kind of clinging, a tendency to papancha, uh, etc., some kind of hysteria. Um, but to, to some of those people, um, the, the soul-making dharma will uh, be very attractive and, um, and, and make sense. Um, Yes, uh, for some people it may um, the the way passion moves in them, the way emotion moves in them, the way love uh, moves them. Um, it may move them to certain manifestations, like we said, of of clinging, papancha, or um, a kind of craving that becomes a neediness, etc. <clears throat> But it may not always be because of some cause in 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 their personal history. It may not just be um, a defilement that's driving them, a kilesa. Um, but it may be actually for that person that there is already a lot of eros and tendency to image in their soul. That's the soul that they are, the soul that they were given, that they were gifted with, and it's a lot to learn how to uh, how to uh, handle uh, such a soul that has a lot of eros uh, that has a tendency to image it's like being given a gift of um, a, a, a powerful horse and you actually have to learn how to ride that horse and that takes some time it's very different if someone gives you um, uh, a gift of a, a little pony or something. Um, so this person, some some people may have such souls, such rich, deep, um, fiery souls, lots of eros, lots of tendency towards image or, or inclination towards image, ease with image. But very little help or guidance in the culture in being able to as ride that, ride that soul, um, relate skillfully to it, so that this tremendous gift can actually become become uh, quite quite difficult and get thrown out of the saddle, etc., um, trampled on, uh, starts galloping away in this or that direction, completely completely out of one's control. Very little help or guidance in the culture to allow that soul to. to to to, uh, to make soul to engage in, in soul making uh, the, the fertility and the, the dynamism of soul making for the eros psyche logos dynamic to expand and enrich and deepen in the ways that we've talking talked about so that it and in the absence of that help and that guidance and that uh, that ability to learn that that support in learning that um, it does go towards craving. The eros does become craving. What could have become imaginal does become papancha and fixated image, etc. So for some people with that kind of style of persona, of, of, uh, of, um, of soul, um, it, it may be that that's partly what's going on and partly um, 
that they are attracted, they recognize something in the soul-making teachings. And it's not just a cheap kind of legitimization of their uh, quirky foibles or pathologies. There's something deep there, but need to learn how to relate to this, how to uh, ride and befriend that horse. So that it really can be a gift, powerful gift. And of course, um, not everyone that's attracted to the soul-making dharma is of that kind of um, uh, soul style or psychology. Um, pl- plenty, there's, there's a big range, and some tend to much more uh, uh, apparent equanimity, or, you know, calmness, steadiness, etc. Um, some have have a range, of course, have a range. So there's not. I don't want to restrict it to to that style, but just in terms of cultural views uh, of uh, around emotion and around uh, again, what's healthy psychology, etc. Uh, following on from this a little bit. Um, I said recently um, in the, I think it was the Roots into the Grand Soul retreat, um, at some point in there, that, you know, for the, for a large portion of uh, imaginal practice and soul-making practice, um, Especially when there's, uh, in relation to our dukkha, we have to um, realize that that our relationship to the emotions um, needs to needs to fall within a certain range in order that they can um, ferment the. Uh, soul-making process, they can they can fertilize and give rise to images, etc. And I think I used the um, analogy earlier on this uh, series of talks of a crucible, an alchemical vessel or crucible. And if that crucible is not, um, uh, you know, uh, does not do its job of containing the, the, the material and tolerating the heat, etc., um, uh, allowing the contents, the material, to ferment, to uh, undergo the soul-making dynamic, you know, then images won't arise. So for some people, and again, I, I so much want to say, there's so much, as I said before, uh, that really needs to be individually tailored in the teachings of this. So for some people, part of the reason that, for instance, I don't get images, I don't get I don't get uh, intrapsychic images, you know. I can kind of sense a sacredness in the environment um, of a certain kind, but I don't tend to get any images, or very, very few. And for some of those people, um, it may be that there are certain habits uh, of ways of relating to their emotional life and, and emotions that come that are actually uh, those habits mean that the, the crucible is broken um, in in a not very helpful way. Nothing, or it doesn't conduct heat, or whatever we um, 
want to, uh, however we want to stretch the, the analogy, the alchemical analogy. So in alchemy, you know, there's sometimes what we what what the the alchemical material, the raw material needs is heat, and that's part of the process. And the vessel is uh, like you put something in a in a pan or a, or a pot, like, like a vessel or a crucible, and you heat it, and that allows something to happen. Sometimes the material itself, of course, in is generating heat. Uh, like like compost material or fermenting material is generating heat, but there is a way that if we talk about heat as the emotional life, there, there's a relationship there. Not always, and I'll come back to that. But um, uh, so some for some people, again, without them really realizing it, uh, the the crucible is is uh, around the emotions is not um, built well. It, it's not serving a purpose for imaginal practice. It might serve all kinds of other purposes in their life. Um, so, some people, or it might be the case sometimes, that some people um, are kind of habituated to not actually register or not even allow certain emotions and certain emotional intensity. And that they don't even realize that pattern. And sometimes that kind of pattern is actually then sanctioned by role models that these people may come into contact with, or um, or by the Dharma itself that that is kind of preaching this sort of even uh, equanimity. So such a person, sometimes that's the reason. I'm not saying it's always. The reason, but sometimes that's that's a reason or part of uh, a set of conditions that are preventing the uh, birth, the arising of um, of certainly intrapsychic images. And it might look in in such in such cases, it might look from the outside like this person is a good good practitioner. They're a good Buddhist. They're calm. They're reasonable, they're even-keeled, they're certainly warm and friendly, etc. Um, but the way they are with the emotions, as they are certain emotions at least, doesn't allow uh, the kind of um, heating up or galvanizing um, of, of the whole soul-making dynamic um, in, in terms of generating images. There's another way where someone actually does have a lot of emotions, but again, for different reasons, either just a lack of training, that's why we call this skill with emotions and uh, the art of being with emotions and working in in different ways uh, with the emotions and having that range, different approaches in different um, situations and also for different ends. with regard to emotion, but someone else either may not have that training. It just it just wasn't really given, or again may have a tendency to have a lot of emotions. And they do tend to f- feel anger or jealousy or uh, judgmentalism or all ki- kinds of things. Um, that are, again we're talking now about the more difficult emotions or um, huge passion or whatever it is, but actually don't really um, don't have the training and the skill therefore the art of working well with those emotions to create a kind of crucible to allow that heat if we follow that limited analogy to build up 
or again they have a, a, a kind of indoctrination, unquestioned indoctrination from from Dharma teaching that well, I know I'm feeling this whatever it is jealousy, anger, etc. But I also I know from my Dharma Dharma teachings that I've heard and read that it's really not good, it's not helpful, it's a defilement, etc. Um, so that the way they relate to it is sort of caught between a rock and a hard place. It's going on, I'm sort of, um, you know, entangled in it. It, 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 it it's, it's kind of got me a little bit. And at the same time, I'm just trying to dismiss it and push it away and kind of get beyond it or get over it or whatever. And uh, so it's not that they're not arising, this person isn't allowing that, but there's, it is arising and they're sort of judging themselves for having it or trying to get, get rid of it or, or pre-deciding that it's, it's a, a non-helpful thing. Uh, so now, of course, um, some, for some people and for any person at any time, Im- images don't just arise out of the heat of emotions and certainly don't just arise out of dukkha. They can come out of um, the, the deep cool of equanimity uh, coolness, but it often talks about the coolness of equanimity, um, the the depths um, of that equanimity, because equanimity is very related to uh, unfabricating. There's in in the coolness, in the equanimity, in the unfabricating. There's this liquefying that I talk about sometimes. Um, the liquefying of things, and out of that coolness can come very beautiful sensing the soul uh, and other images, etc. Um, so we can talk if we talk about. Uh, Heat, meaning emotion and the material, it's not always the case that we need a lot of heat um, or even any apparent heat. So uh, sometimes it will come from coolness, etc. So again, you can hear how I say something, there's a caveat. So really, this is, or there's a, in this case or in that case, on the other hand, it could be, etc. So um, when, when you are uh, Listen, please, please regard these as things to consider and really to ask yourself because oftentimes I see these kinds of things are going on for people and they're just not aware that they're going on. They're just not aware that that's a pattern uh, that they're in. Um, Now, of course, Eros is a form of fire and heat and I think I used that analogy in one of the talks um, on another another course. so we can include that. But when we talk about heat, we might mean the whole range, coolness, eros, the whole range of emotions, etc. Um, uh, seemingly pathological emotions, seemingly beautiful emotions, joy, uh, etc., love, all, all that. But this is important, this, this factor, that it may be the case with some people that the way of... Or, or, or a certain range of ways of relating to the emotions are just uh, not accessible um, to that person. And and so a, a kind of opening up, a self-awareness and opening up and, and a training and a, 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 an extension of one's habits um, needs to happen. 
And, you know, all this is complicated and, and very individual, I think. So I'm making general points, but it's very individual. Some people, um, I remember talking with someone not too long ago, um, actually feels a, a lot of different emotions, um, but uh, not anger, this person. Uh, didn't feel anger, and I think um, she was on the retreat where we did a little bit of um, movement and sort of careful, um, some were quite um, extravagant and energized movements, uh, almost violent movements um, and soundings, um, and some were much more subtle. But she was on that retreat, and when we did uh, certain movements that involved stomping and roaring and stuff like that, she just said it just didn't it just didn't resonate at all. There was just nothing in her that felt any need for that or any place for that. Um, slightly puzzling. I think a lot of a few people had different kinds of reactions because it was quite intense. But anyway, I'm talking about this person now. So lots of lots of emotions were there to feel, but not anger. But this person also has a history of depression. And what's becoming clear is that um, in certain situations, when something feels unjust or she feels uh, uh, there's some, something that's angering, angering her um, in what a person's doing or what a, what a group is doing or, or some dynamic or something, that actually the, the anger doesn't even register. She does, it completely bypasses the anger and instead it goes into depression, in this case a very, very vicious depression, very self-destructive, um, etc. Which is one one of the... Uh, I've seen that before, in uh, both in some friends and, and other practitioners. And again, it might be, it might be, I don't think it was in this case, but it might be sometimes a shadow of Dharma teaching uh, that automatically puts anger in... Uh, in the category of defilement, kilesa, etc., and something to be shunned and, and not 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 allowed. Um, but in this case, um, there was a beginning to notice that link. Okay, I feel, uh, or, or I go into this depression when I feel somehow um, uh, silenced or or shut up. Now. Maybe partly the external situation that was silencing her to a certain extent, but but a lot of the silencing was just internal. There was some mechanism operating below the radar of consciousness that just um, didn't allow the anger to be registered or felt or validated, and it went straight. The anger was turned on the self, you know, in a in a very uh, deep and and destructive way, and very very painful, uh, paralyzingly painful. Um, so this this pattern began began to become clear, and it might be then that a stage of practice for that person is actually to realize that and perhaps replay a scenario that one now now I feel shut down now I feel depressed let's go back to that situation where it seems linked somehow and actually replay the scenario in one's imagination and slow it down a little bit. There. How do I feel about being shut up? How do I feel the frustration, the pent-up energy in that? How do I feel about what these people are saying, or what they're trying to do, or how they're manipulating this, or how it seems they're manipulating the situation? 
and not worry so much. So it's a practice. It's in a safe space. It's it's um, internal or with with a friend um, or, or with a teacher in an interview, whatever it is, and actually slow it down. Not worry about is this right? Is it wrong? Was it really the perception that they were manipulating, or am I just am I just projecting that? Don't worry about that. Don't worry. Am I going to then bite this person's head off? Don't worry. You just practice actually slowing the th- slowing the thing down and just there. What's that feeling right there? It might start as frustration. It might start as just a feeling in the energy body. But we want to feel that um, energy in the energy body and, um, and have it be okay. Uh, and, and if we recognize it's anger, and so I want to I wanna, fucking kill that person, it's like, okay, feel that and, and really have that be okay doesn't mean you're going to kill the person doesn't mean you might not even you may or you may not even say anything to that person that comes later um, but to actually feel and give it some degree of respect feel it in the energy body give it some degree of respect and and that's a huge a huge step and hugely important so if we talk about, um, again, with all the caveats I said right at the beginning about cultural conditioning and views and being historically situated and contingent in that way. Um, uh, but it might be, speaking now in this culture and for, from the point of view of our paradigm um, uh, and, and what we're elaborating in terms of soul psychology and all that, it might be that that... Um, that Ability and willingness to actually recognize anger, feel it, um, contain it in the energy body, and give it some degree of validation in the sense of not just immediately dismissing it, uh, um, at least that. That may be what we call a foundational element Excuse me, of soul-making practice and dharma. It may be one of the foundations. Um, it... it it may well be, again, given all the caveats I said about culture and history, um, it may be also one of the foundations just of a, 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 a psychological health. Um, and it may be one of the foundations of healthy relationship, human relationship. Um, but more than that, it may be one of the building blocks, one of the foundations of, um, of imaginal practice and soul-making dharma. This person could have lots of images, but... It w- maybe in certain directions or certain possibilities of images um, never could arise there. Such a foundation, if it is a foundation of soul-making practice, might be, in in the longer term, uh, an example of a foundation that becomes a root, that then becomes something that itself is living and growing and nourishing. So this just ability to feel anger, to tolerate it, to feel it in the body, to recognize it, to not dismiss it, um, uh, yes, good part of emotional awareness, skill, health, etc. Yes, uh, a part of uh, what can then allow images to come. But it might be, um, in it might be at a certain point that that becomes a root in the sense of the anger itself. In, to give this, follow this example, the anger itself becomes imaginal. The anger itself becomes an erotic object. Does that mean now I'm going to become hysterical and go out and buy a gun? And you know, no, of course not. Uh, we've talked about all this about reification, literalization, and the non-danger of that if one is really listening and following the teachings. So there's one thing to have just um, 
a, a, a crucible that can hold material that can then ferment to create images. It's it's a, another step, perhaps, to that that material itself becomes imaginable, that anger itself becomes uh, uh, erotic. It, it starts to have other dimensions, it starts to have divinity, it starts to have um, even eternality, it starts to have theatre, it starts to have um, fullness of intention is wrapped in it, all, all, all that grace even, the grace of anger, participation in you know, divine anger, all, all kinds of possibilities. So there may seem to be an obvious progression here. Okay, first you develop the, just the, the human psychological skill as a foundation that allows certain directions and openings of images that might not have been otherwise available. And then it, it may be in time that uh, that kind of emotion or these kinds of emotions also become roots in the sense they become, um, like I said, a live, vital part, nourishing part of the actual structure of um, the soul making as opposed to just something on which soul making is built but and again lots of caveats because it's all it's all so much individual variation sometimes things don't happen in the sort of obvious uh, linear order of progression of, of gradual progression first this the easy step then the, then the intermediate step then the advanced step sometimes the advanced step or what is apparently the advanced step happens first and everything happens um, in the reverse order per, sometimes divine anger opens up as an image and that image itself then allows uh, in in drawing on the image um, uh, being supported by the image, nourished by the image, bringing that image back in, in, a, in a kind of, uh, as a tincture into human situations, um, either meditating on it beforehand or, or in this almost like homeopathic background way while one's in relationship, that the image itself then allows healthy human relationships at the normal, at the kind of conventional level, etc., and it may change the relationship with the energy body and allow other possibilities in terms of opening up the energy uh, uh, in the energy body, etc. So, yes, we can talk about, well, generally this is easier and that builds on this and that builds on the second bit, etc. But sometimes things happen in very different orders and a person just, um, an image is given and kind of everything uh, kind of shakes down or is informed by that image, um, uh, top down, so to speak, from the divine to the human, if we use such language. So there's something in here, you know, notice I said not dismissing it, a certain amount of validation. There's something similar, maybe some of you can recognize already, with a step in um, what we call the OCD practice, or the opening to the current of desire, a step of which is just to suspend the um, the value judgment, uh, the negative value judgment about what what we're desiring, and uh, and just entertain the idea, even just for a limited time in practice, entertain the idea that there might be treasure here. Possibly there's treasure in this thing that I've been taught is a kilesa that looks like a defilement, that's certainly difficult, that. I'm a little bit wary of because heaven knows, you know, what might come out of my mouth or what I might say and do. Uh, but there's something similar in terms of let's just suspend that judgment and can I just drop in a grain of trust 
maybe for a limited amount of time, maybe there's a treasure here in this in this difficult emotion. Yeah. So there's a lot here. There's a lot about just um, healthy internal psychology, about uh, human relationships, and certainly about uh, working with images and, and and the receiving or generating of images. Um, and and there's you know so much more to say than there's a whole step in learning how. Uh, this is an aside now, but how do I express that anger in a way that's helpful and skillful? And the Buddha talks about, we could talk, you give a whole series of talks just about that, about, you know, um, skill in communicating the difficult, etc. But, and that that usually takes time, I have to say, that usually really takes time to learn how to do that. But uh, again, there's always exceptions. So... um, as I said, some people may need to uh, work more with their emotions. They may, it's, in some instances, there's a lot of apparent skill with certain emotions. Like, persons person says, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with this kind of emotion, that kind of emotion. It looks like, oh, they're working on it and being with it. Um, but other emotions are just out of bounds. Um, so, again, there's very, a lot of individual variation here. Um, but it might be that a person needs to allow, feel more, or get into, or um, sit in, um, particularly the difficult emotions. I mean, sometimes also positive emotions are are hard to tolerate. Uh, a lot of joy, or a lot of uh, love, or, or uh, they're not, again, they're not culturally normal, and we're not used to that. But, um, but, uh, Sometimes a person needs to actually be in that more, um, and more inclusively, not refusing, not ignoring, not veering away from uh, the emotions that they uh, habitually or dogmatically don't like or don't approve of, don't trust, etc. So that the psychic energy in the emotion can, as I said, form a kind of crucible and give birth um, to ferment uh, an image that is powerfully soul-making. So, we said that, again, a caveat. Is that a universal truth? I don't think so. Um, there's all kinds of other factors, as I mentioned earlier. This is just one one factor, but it's really worth uh, looking inside over a period of time, reflecting, asking questions, maybe even asking a good friend what they think, because sometimes we can't see ourselves that clearly, um, or a teacher uh, who knows you well. So, is it a universal truth? I don't think so. Um, it may be that some people or some cultures, as we're talking now about what is it that might inhibit the, uh, the transubstantiation and, uh, of, of the psychic material into an image and give, give birth to images in the imaginal. And it may be, you know, it's not, it's not just the emotions, it may be that some people or some cultures um, actually need a lot less kind of, um, of the galvanizing that happens from the emotions, um, a lot less of the kind of, the, the heat there, uh, in order to give rise to images. And that may be for, for different reasons. It may be that such a person is, uh, more, uh, accustomed to and more okay with 
uh, a logos, a conceptual framework that supports the imaginal. So that their kind of, let's say, default logos, or they can happily and fairly easily spend time entertaining uh, a conceptual framework that's actually much more supportive to the imaginal. Someone else may be okay with their emotions, but there are certain concepts or conceptual frameworks that uh, are just kind of locked into place. Again, maybe conscious, maybe unconscious. And that's the reason. Um, Whereas the other person, as I said, they're they're comfortable with a certain logos, and that logos is well-oiled. It's not like an unfamiliar, clunky, or rusty piece of machinery. It's like it's quite smooth. Uh, It's quite ready. It's quite accessible. So that may be, that's a factor, it may be. Um, It may be, too, just what arises from meditation habit that one person might have much less of a habit of dismissing images in practice. They're so trained, as I was for many years, um, in dismissing any kind of image just through the, the, the sort of usual instructions of mindfulness. You might note something and then put it aside. Or you're concentrating on your breath, so it's just it's all kind of irrelevant I- images or whatever it is. And that might be trained over... Uh, months, years, decades in, in some uh, cases, like my own, and and that actually uh, m- means, again, that, that certain pathways have to get uh, unrusted, have to get oiled, have to get smooth, have to, have to be opened up, because there's such a habit of immediately dismissing um, any image that comes, oh, it's just a daydream, it's just, it's not what I'm, I'm you know, it's not what meditation's about. And that can become a habit. It may be as well, and as I mentioned earlier, maybe there's just a different, and I think there is, just a different natural propensity in, in different souls to have more or less images, uh, to have that uh, more accessible. And then, of course, there's a whole... Um, uh, again, cultural situatedness. Uh, there may be, um, for some, a kind of cultural affirmation and reinforcement of uh, of images, uh, certainly deep images. So maybe in certain more religious cultures, or a person who has had that background, um, uh, where deep, um, by deep I mean uh, not necessarily imagine in our sense with all the imaginal middle way and all that, but deep in the sense that they touch the soul and they're designed to touch the soul. So not just an image of, uh, you know, whatever it is, an advert for an SUV car or or whatever like that, Um, which interestingly try to uh, touch something in us of our longing for uh, freedom, mystery, beauty, autonomy, the, the, the image of the self, you know, well, car ads are really about the image of the self. Any, anyway, um, but in in certain uh, cultures where there's an affirmation and a reinforcement and a normality for for deep images, um, and and uh, those deep images are public, they're shared, they're talked about, they're respected, they're venerated, even. So all that is also going to um, shape. Uh, and support uh, the the arising of images for an individual person.
someone else who's in a culture that dismisses um, or denigrates images or they just don't have any place except at the most superficial level of uh, you know adverts and, and whatever it is it might also be you know again we're talking now about what is it that allows um, images to arise uh, uh, more or less easily. It may be for some people that emptiness practices and understandings have gone deep enough to uh, liquefy and divinize uh, all perception. So I outlined this in um, in, uh, in my book, Seeing the Freeze. Um, emptiness go deep, deep, deep into the unfabricated and then, if you like, out the other end where um, one realizes that um, uh, sacredness is everywhere, not just in the unfabricated as opposed to the fabricated. Um, so maybe for some people, and uh, you know, for, for myself, I shared this before, I think that was my path to the imaginal. It opened up through pursuing emptiness deeply, but not, not for everyone. Yet for some people, that will be a very significant factor. Um, that that there's often uh, an often enough accessibility to that kind of uh, liquefied and divinized perception of um, of everything. It may be again. It may be that the energy body awareness is just more uh, readily and wholly available. So again, we're talking about what what are the elements that need to be there. And we've talked so much in the past few years about just, oh, how just opening up the energy body can um, help, uh, will help support the, uh, the movement uh, towards a, either, even the reception of images, but then the images becoming more imaginal. So there are lots of factors here, but this business about emotions, is, as I said, is, is really worth considering and uh, really worth wherever one's at with it, developing one's skill there. You know, I've mentioned in the past when I talk about um, the breaking of the vessels and the, the Kabbalistic term, Shvirata Kilim, um, that kind of thing. We could say something more general. We've heard this before. That the soul-making dynamic, or soul-making over time, let's say, so not necessarily from any individual image, not necessarily from any individual that it could be, but soul-making certainly over time involves and catalyzes um, a, a stretching, a stretching of our being, of our soul, of our mind, of our heart, of our ideas, of our energy, body, uh, range, etc. Maybe a shattering, this breaking of the vessels, um, a certain kind of tension, um, with all that, often some some uh, territories of unsureness, complication in the very dynamic itself. We talk about how the eros psychologos dynamic um, complexifies itself. 
so that the image becomes more pl- complex. The ideas, the available ideas that are implicit as conceptions within perception become more complicated, or as seeds for perception uh, and reflection become more complicated. Um, one's relationships may become more complicated. Um, over time, stretch, shattering, tension, unsureness, complication, fertility, and ask, or several asks, challenge, duty, meaning by ask, duty. Um, In other words, uh, yes, tremendous beauty in the soul-making process, in the soul-making dynamic, but also difficulty as well, challenge and difficulty. Um, And so sometimes... I, I sometimes feel when people only over time report to sort of uh, loveliness from the whole imaginal and soul-making practices that um, it may be that they're missing something. Again, there's lots of ind- individuality here, um, but it may be that a whole sort of wing, if you like, is uh, not being allowed, not, not explored so much. So I think I talked about that in that talk called, I think it was The Spreading of Five Wings, that short talk there as a reminder of uh, what may need opening to and including and uh, extending, what ranges may need extending as as we grow in the soul-making. And again, given the caveat that uh, souls are different, you know, uh, therefore the ranges are different, the sort of people have different ranges, maybe we could say almost intrinsically, and it can be trained. But but the point is that generally soul-making, not necessarily individual image, but generally over time, involves um, difficulty and challenge and stretch and the discomfort of that, as well as the beauty and the ease and the liberation, etc. Let's go back to that um, uh, passage from Genesis that I mentioned the other day, Jacob wrestling the angel. The wound and the blessing came together. In that case, and there's something again reading that story uh, through through the poetic lens of of the uh, soul making dharma and the conception and the imaginal sensibilities. The blessing and the wound go together. No blessing, no wound, uh, and so this is often the case um, with with soul making and the soul making dynamics. Certainly over time. So, this is interesting. Um, Let me try and explain this. So, it might be, having said what we just said, so there's, um, again, I want to talk about uh, why it is sometimes, or why, why it may be, what might be the case for some people who feel like, mm, I don't get many images. Uh, certainly not intrapsychic ones. So it may be for some people um, that this is relevant. Um, so Im- imaginal images, if they're uh, really allowed to um, galvanize the eros-psychologos dynamic, as we just said, there will be an opening, a stretching, potentially a breaking uh, either a gradual stretching or a breaking of vessels as part of the soul-making dynamic sometimes. Now, here's what I want to add to this. Um, 
so many things in in the uh, domains of psychology, spirituality, soul work, all that dharma, um, where there's a dependency one way. In other words, um, uh, this stretching, this uncomfortable, sometimes uncomfortable breaking of vessels and stretching, etc., with everything, all the difficulties that I've potential difficulties that I just outlined, where that's dependent on, in this case, the soul making dynamic, the dependency often runs both ways. So when you see a dependency one way, ah, dependent on the soul making dynamic getting going, there can be sometimes as part of uh, with the gift, there can also be the challenge, the stretching, the breaking, etc. Where there's dependency one way like that, we can usually expect, it's usually really worth looking for the dependency, the reverse dependency, so that dependency is usually mutual. Mutual dependent origination. This depends on that, but that also depends on this. In other words, um, when we are opened up, uh, mind, heart, sometimes body, um, when we're stretched, when we're broken sometimes, or there's a breaking of vessels, whether that uh, feels like internal mental vessels and containers and compartments and understandings or whatever it is, whether it's relational, whether it's um, philosophical or emotional, or wh- whatever it is. Um, when there's that, in the reverse dependency, that very opening, stretching, breaking... Um, and the challenge of that can give rise to images and to eros. Okay, so when we're in love, something is really opening and being stretched in us, and our whole perception, um, uh, not just of the beloved, but also of the self and the world, something's really being stretched there. And and with all the craziness of falling in love, so it's not necessarily always just uh, you know uh, a stroll in the park being in love. Um, when we're in, sense, a moral crisis, that kind of stretch, and I'm going to come back, as I said in the introductory talk, I'm hoping that I will have time and uh, capacity to come back and talk about uh, morality and ethics. And um, But one of the things is, um, in a way, it's hard, it's hard to be a sensitive human being these days and not feel some degree of moral crisis. Uh, with the complexity of the world and the difficulty of what's going on globally, etc. But certainly when we're in moral crisis, that's also an opening, a stretching, a tearing of the the fabric um, of the view, of the heart, of the inclinations, of the desires, of the will. Or when there's a moral stretch that we feel called to take a stand, to speak, to, to act in a certain way that may require all kinds of courage, stepping out of our comfort zones, it may um, uh, it stretches us in some way morally, or a heart stretch, or our ideas of this or that, um, our conceptual frameworks, or even maybe a map of the path, or an idea of who we are, or what the world is, or what healthy psychology is, what, whatever, when those ideas are broken, all these are kind of examples of being open, stretched, broken, vessels breaking or being kind of uh, uh, exp- expanded. Um, when, when we're stretched in those kinds of ways, then, the, again, 
there's a because of the mutual dependent arising, there's the uh, this, these are particularly fertile times for images to arise, and images that can be um, deep deep guides for our soul. They have everything to do with the angel out ahead. They have everything to do with what we feel called to, what we want to move to, um, eros, etc. So by stretched, you know, listen to the kinds of stretch I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about, God, I'm so, I'm so busy. You know, I'm, I'm not just talking about being busy. Most people nowadays are, are too busy. We're all too busy um, and stretched that way. Neither am I talking about just an ego concern. Oh, I have to give a presentation and I'm worried what they think of me. Or I'm talking about soul concerns. The soul is stretched. The soul is stretched by soul-making. Yeah. So this organ of soul that we talked about, that, that senses in a certain way and wants to sense in a certain way, is grown. We make soul. We add to it. It becomes a bigger, more complex, and more multifaceted organ. And, and when we're stretched, when the soul is stretched by soul concerns, things that are a deep concern to the soul, then that's a particularly fertile um, uh, soil uh, for for image to arise. So, one of the reasons that some people may not get intrapsychic images, okay, and I don't want to put this out as a universal rule, but it's, it's really worth some honest, deep reflection, perhaps in some cases. One of the reasons some people may not get intrapsychic images, or very few, is actually that they avoid moral stretches and crises. They may be busy doing good things in the world, um, but there's no there's no really deep risk there. There's no, there's very little breaking out of molds. Um, there's 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 not really a sort of courageous taking a stand, um, extending one's uh, courage, um, going beyond what may have become routine, uh, ordinary, or comfortable. Um, and so because that person is actually living in a constrained way, again, they might not even really realize it, because well, I'm engaged in good work, I'm a Dharma teacher, or I'm a psychologist, or I'm a whatever, whatever it is. Um, uh, it could be an, anything. Um, but it, th- their soul is not being stretched in certain ways. They're not putting themselves uh, in in those situations that would stretch themselves, that would make things a bit shaky, that risk a kind of um, uh, stretch and, and perhaps even a break, a crisis. Um, so this is something to consider. So um, I remember, you know, when I was first giving, I don't know, for a year or two, I can't remember, um, giving talks on, on soul-making and the imaginal and um, how it felt to me, I think I shared this in the last retreat, how it felt to me, uh, wow, there's um, there's really a stretch for me here because uh, even though some people were quite hostile to emptiness teachings um, for lots of different reasons, um, the level of hostility and sort of um, anger and... Uh, etc., um, uh, from some people in relation to the soul-making teachings and imaginal teachings um, was really uh, quite 
uh, remarkable, I, I felt, so that I would feel going places and giving talks, or even Guy House in some situations, it's like, wow, this is a stretch, you know, not just the material, the material by its nature was a stretch, of course, because it's really stretching the, uh, the uh, Dharma paradigm, if you like, uh, and, and you could say breaking it, depending on your point of view, but... Um, uh, certainly, in terms of put, putting myself in those situations where where it was, you know, one could sense the hostility, or people would write notes or speak to me, or you know, whatever, with um, with quite a lot of hostility. Um, so that stretch itself, uh, and knowing that I was going into those situations and and and, and wanting to to um, offer this material. That was a stretch. It needed courage. I, I, I was, in a way, taking a stand for something that felt deeply important um, to, I said, to my soul, to soul in general, to to the Dharma, to our culture, etc. And that was enormously fertile um, in terms of giving rise to images that that echoed and mirrored and were in relationship with that very situation, that very difficulty. Um, and, uh, and and very helpful images, you know, really fertile images. I'll come back to that. Certainly, um, you know, um, having cancer and, and uh, probably dying soon, um, that's also a stretch. You know, so that whole uh, strand of my life in the, in the last few years, um, it, it, the... the there's a kind of breaking there, breaking of the body, breaking of life, breaking of uh, one's continuities, etc., um, relationships. Uh, that also is 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 a kind of, uh, I don't know if moral is the right word, but uh, a stretch of the soul and the being. There's deep soul concerns there. Um, the unfolding, as I alluded to earlier, the unfolding um, tragedies, um, of climate change and e- ecological degradation, species mass species extinction, those um, tragedies uh, also one can feel that as as something that's really breaking something in the heart, in the being, in the fabric of our civilizations. It's in the fabric of the only home we know in the universe the fabric of nature, which we're so embedded in, all of that stuff, I'm going to return to this, uh, hopefully, in later talks. Um, anger, and especially the kind of uh, righteous indignation or righteous anger um, that uh, we can feel in response to either certain moral issues or, or for example, uh, with regard to climate change and species extinction and the insufficient response so far of humanity to them insufficient care you know that anger and uh, that can also be you know it's a deep soul concern it can also be ripping at fabrics and stretching things um, it might be also just being uh, touched in our soul by uh, by a teaching or a teacher or a tradition it might not even be our main tradition but all these um, are examples of uh, things that stretch the soul and um, open things up and maybe break things in us, break uh, vessels in us. And that 
uh, can give rise to images. Uh, so very fertile. Um, so there's this, as I said, mutual dependent origination between a soul stretch and soul making as part of what's going on in the soul making. Stretch the soul by what we're opening to or opening ourselves to or the situations we're putting ourselves uh, in in life. Stretch the soul in life and there's a soul making that happens through that uh, very probably with um, with lots of Im- Im- imaginal images being part of that process um, of soul making. Where there's soul making over time, there will be a stretch. So the, the dependency is mutual, it runs both ways. I hope that makes sense. So if we if we think about, I remember, I think it was in the opening talk of this course, and I, I, I said, well, we could make a a categorization into three. There's sort of what we might call fixated images and papancha as one one uh, mode of of uh, you know the imagination. There's a sort of mindful awareness or deconstruction of images um, as a second, and the third is uh, allowing the images or supporting the images to become imaginal and, and soul making. The three categories there. Wrapped up in those three, we can also trace uh, corollary um, tripartite division of of uh, the relationship with emotions. So, um, in the uh, case of papancha and fixated image, um, the, the the emotions are usually unskillful. They're not helpful. They've kind of um, got us in in their grip. We're being sent through the spinner. What's I forgotten the phrase? But anyway, um, w- w- they've got us, and and it's uh, they're unskillful emotions. Um, even if there's uh, love, etc., there's a lot of graspy clinging in it, or or, or whatever. Um, with uh, let's say. Um, well, let's let's just delineate a few factors. So, um, well, okay, then we'll put it this way: um, the when we're um, mindful of what's going on, like there's some tendency to papancha, or there's a certain image, and when we're just mindful of that, um, it tends to quiet, uh, to um, pacify um, the emotions. It tends to. Um, that movement is actually part of a larger movement um, of lessening fabrication. So also the emotion itself is fabricated less and we go towards a coolness, a calming, a kind of emotional neutrality. Um, And mindfulness, as I've pointed out several times, mindfulness is just, uh, the way we commonly view mindfulness is just, uh, we could regard it rather as just, it's a certain... uh, degree of less less fabrication. So we're fabricating less story, less self, uh, less image, less emotion, etc. Uh, in contrast with um, the 
when we're on the imaginal track, then the emotions, uh, we, we form a kind of emo- this crucible for the emotions, so that the emotions can be integral and part of and, and nourish the whole uh, giving birth to the imaginal. And then they tend to, um, they might still be intense, uh, so they're not necessarily pacified, they might be intense, but they're transformed or given other dimensions or other roots, um, and they tend to be liberated in the best sense there. So again, if we just follow this, just linger on this for a second, um, this tripartite division. So um, there are ways of being with emotions. Um, uh, So for example, um, in a a typical mindfulness instructions, they let go of the story, let go of the self, etc. And what that does is there is a little less fabrication that pacifies the emotions. And in so doing, it doesn't become uh, soul-making. There's just a pacification. It doesn't become imaginal, let's say. There's just a pacification. Um, Those set of instructions I gave, I think they were called Working with the Emotional Body from 2011, which is where I may have also made the point about emotions being... Uh, we'll never get to the bottom of them um, as a species, our understanding of them. Um, there I gave uh, these seven guided meditations, if I remember, instructions. They also will tend to pacify. They're skillful ways of working with emotions. So we're not throwing these out for good, for good and all. We're not throwing them out once and for all. Uh, we want to keep that that kind of way of relating to emotions, just a simple mindfulness, a simple lessening of the fabrication. And within that, there's a range of ways. Like there were these, for instance, seven, seven uh, modes of paying attention and working with emotions. All of them uh, kinds of mindfulness, kinds of uh, uh, stances of mindfulness that would pacify the emotion. And with that self, etc., and the fabrication, uh, etc. Um, but like I said, if we want the imaginal to come from the emotion, then we need a kind of crucible. We need to let the emotions heat up um, in certain ways um, in, in that alchemical vessel. So in this tripartite division, we could make a distinction between um, what goes in each division, uh, what kind of image, what kind of desire, uh, what kind of emotion and what kind of fabrication? Yeah. What kind of image? What kind of desire? What kind of emotion? What kind of fabrication? With what we're calling papanchal fixated image, well, that's the kind of image. It's fixated. It's reified. Uh, it's papancha. What kind of desire? Craving. The contraction of craving and the dukkha of craving. What kind of emotion? Unskillful emotion. It's got us, it's tangled us, it's taking us for a ride, we're caught up in it, we're all that. Um, What kind of fabrication? Um, Unskillful fabrication. The self, other, and the situation, the world, um, are all fabricated in ways that are bringing dukkha, that are not helpful, that are reified, uh, etc. I see myself this way, clinging to that view. Uh, that's how I am, I see that person that way because they looked at me this way or whatever, they didn't speak to me or they did speak to me or whatever it was, um, uh, and I'm fabricating, I'm seeing my, fabricating the perception of them in a, a very literalized, very rarefied way, 
and usually not in a way that is a suffering. And also the situation, the world maybe spreads to the whole. I see everything in a certain way. So image, kind of desire, uh, kind of emotion, and and kind of fabrication. Fixated image, craving, unskillful emotion, unskillful fabrication of self, other world. When we practice a kind of skillful, uh, one of the skillful kinds of mindful attention um, that that are sort of more standardly taught that I've uh, and lots of other teachers probably put out, um, uh, then again we can go through what's the kind of image. Uh, what's the kind of desire, what's the kind of emotion, what's the kind of fabrication. There's a quietening, a pacification of the um, of the images, and actually of perception in general. Um, there's a pacification of, of desire, eros and craving, through, through the simple sort of standard mindfulness and the deconstruction that that does. Pacification of images, pacification of perception, pacification of desire, to some degree or other, depending on exactly what one one's, one exactly what practice one is one is engaging, um, there's a pacification of emotion, as I said earlier. So that's the kind of emotion that this this torrent of uh, probably unskillful emotion or, or whatever was was pacified. And there's a pacification of fabrication. So we're somewhere there on the spectrum of unfabricating of self, other world. There's not no self, you know, in standard mindfulness there's less story, there's less personality, um, but there's not no self, there's just less self. Less self is being fabricated, uh, etc. When we consider these categories, um, all these elements in, in the imaginal category, then we have an imaginal kind of image, the kind of desire becomes eros with everything that that means and that uh, the pregnancy of that and the impregnating um, faculty of eros. The um, relationship with the emotions is one of a, a, a crucible that allows uh, uh, the generation and the reception of images but also allows the transformation of everything including the emotion sometimes. Sometimes the emotion becomes another emotion, transformed through the alchemical process. Sometimes the emotion um, stays difficult. We've talked about this when we talk about dukkha and soul-making. It stays grief, or it stays whatever it is, anger. But it has other dimensions to it that make it much more liberating. Much, much more liberating. Much um, more space is opened up in the emotion because, because, if you like, the territory of the dimensions of the beyonds um, is uh, is opened up. There's more vertical space, so to speak, in the emotions, and also it being sensed as rooted in the divine. If it does, gives it. Uh, we have then a healthy respect, reverence, even um, humility in relationship to the emotions, trust, all that. And that's all part of what what is allowed because the crucible is there. So imaginal image, desire becomes eros rather than craving. Uh, an emotional crucible is formed and forged and uh, allows all kinds of possibilities with regard to the emotion and the image. And 
um, there's skillful fabrication and then there's, there's soulful fabrication, soul-making fabrication of self. The, the, the self can become imaginal. It's not just me in the flat view way of regarding me and my psychology and my history. Um, self, other, and world. Um, but included in that is, is the self can become imaginal. So, what might be involved, or what are some of the elements that might be involved in uh, a more potentially soul-making relationship with the emotions in this uh, range of skills that we're talking about for being with the emotions? Um, there's a few things we could point to, actually. Uh, there's many, but I'll just, I'll just throw out just a few right now. So, you know, a result of, as a... As a wrapped up in what I just said, a result of um, skillful imaginal involvement with the emotions or images coming, imaginal images coming from the right relationship with emotions is that um, is that the emotion then feels as if it's not just mine in the flatly conceived sense, but it has its, in a way it's bigger than me, it's rooted in divinity. So again, the, the mutual dependent origination, if if um, the imaginal can open up that sense of the emotion, then if I can view the emotion that way, it might open up the image. Yeah. So again, we're playing with conception, with logos, with, um, with uh, perception. So I, I may be able to just uh, see... Um, an emotion a certain way, and that seeing it a certain way changes my relationship with it, and in that shift, um, something in the, the jammedness of things uh, shifts, like tectonic plate shifting, or, uh, and, and something can move, and um, an image can arise. So often in psychotherapeutic settings, or in, not always, but quite commonly, and certainly in Dharma settings, we want, uh, we're taught that either we, the self, in a psychological setting, the self is larger than this emotion. You're bigger than this feeling. Um, and to kind of have that view and encourage that view and, m- and make accessible uh, and available that, that view over time as, as a way, a helpful way of relating to the emotion. So we're not overwhelmed or uh, run by an emotions. Also in the Dharma, we don't say so much the self is bigger, we might say something like, the awareness is bigger than the emotion. Or mindfulness can be bigger than the emotion. Certainly, uh, I've taught that way, and it's, it's very, very important as a view. Can, can we make the mindfulness bigger than the emotion? Can we have a sense of the awareness being bigger than the emotion? In uh, imaginal practice, soul-making Dharma, on the other hand, so these kinds of ways of looking, uh, where we or the mindfulness or the awareness um, are regarded as encouraged to be regarded as bigger, larger than the emotion, th- those kind of ways of looking always remain um, available as modes we can move into at any time. Um, but in addition to that, um, uh, the emotion may be sensed and conceived as more than me. Actually, this thing that I'm feeling is bigger than I am. It's bigger than um, certainly my history or whatever. Um, 
Uh, why? Because it has a divine root. It's conceived, felt, sensed as having a divine root. It, it, um, uh, it belongs to or it originates in, in the angel. Something more than me. Um, so that view um, is not, it doesn't lead to an out-of-controlledness where the emotion is bigger in the sense that it's just, it's completely tossing us this way and that and putting us through the ringer or whatever um, and we're out of control and driven by, by something in, an, in a really unhelpful way. Um, it doesn't lead to that out-of-control, doesn't lead to anything unethical or inconsiderate behaviour, etc. But there's a flip in the view there. And again, with the mutual dependent arising, it may arise as a result of the image, different view of the emotion. Sometimes I can just just try and gently encourage different view of the emotion that allows image to arise. But there are other other factors, as I said, we could point to. Um, related, actually I'll just amplify points. I mentioned it already, I'll amplify points. So in in some of the ways of mindfully with a kind of skillful mindfulness of paying attention to emotion, what's really happening is we're kind of atomizing the um, emotions to, to sometimes, for instance, sensations. So um, this, um, whatever the emotion is, uh, it, 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 it's looked at with, with a kind of high-resolution lens in the mindfulness. And instead of getting caught up in the story, we're kind of going underneath the story. The story is a kind of gross level, um, a gross level of resolution. We're going underneath that. Where's the sensation? What's the sen- how closely can I, how finely can I look at the sensation? Oh, it's just pulsing, or it's just heat. This anger, I experience it as heat, or for example, or whatever it is or pressure, or or whatever it is. And in that sense, there's a kind of, what was a complex, rich um, uh, phenomenon, the emotion itself, and then the emotion in the way that it tied into myself, and my narrative, and stories, etc. We're kind of atomizing that through the intensity, and the and a sort of uh, high-definition resol- resolution of our attention, if that makes sense. Um, so that will prevent images arising. It's really skillful at times, really, really skillful. Again, this is part of the whole art of navigation. When, when this, when that approach, and when another approach. But certainly if we atomize um, our emotional experience um, through the kinds of ways we're paying attention, that won't give rise to image. Um, so there's other ways of being with it that, for instance, we need to include, like I said, we need to include some self-sense. Maybe I need to include the narrative. I might need to hold it a bit more lightly, a bit more spaciously, that self-sense and narrative, but it needs to be included in the kind of uh, aura or nebula around uh, what we consider the emotion, rather than we're diving in and atomizing it. And again, we talk about the whole energy body and getting that involved rather than zeroing in uh, on, on, uh, on, on sensations in one location at a very atomistic level. I need to uh, make sure that I'm not reducing this emotion to one cause. 
So this, I'm feeling this emotion because of this. Because that person said that, or because this can't happen, or because uh, that happened when I was young, or I was treated this way, or whatever it is. That may be part of the reason, or rather we're, we're engaging in order for the soul-making dynamic to, to include the emotion, then that, that reason, because my mum said this, or because my dad didn't give me that, or because that person said this, or because whatever it is, um, may be regarded as one cause, but there are more causes, even if we don't know what they are. We're just opening up the conception of causes. So this is one of the elements um, that we, we're not reduced to one meaning or cause or causal explanation. It's one of the ele- of the twenty-eight elements. Not, not, not reducing uh, to one causal explanation or meaning. Um, but. Again, it might be that in the in the mix of qualities that need to be there, uh, you know, I need to I need to let myself be moved. You know, that's the other which we've touched on actually. Um, being moved, being touched, that is an element of soul making, as we said before. It's an element of the breaking the vessels of the soul making dynamic. Um, that things are shifting, that we're touched, that we're moved, that it's meaningful. All that. Um, so we need to let that be the case. If we shut that down in relation to the emotion, or we limit what it can mean in relation to the emotion, um, then, uh, then then it's not so fertile for the images. Uh, and the eros as well, so maybe uh, that we're not allowing eros, if we talk about eros is more than emotion, but it can be included in that territory. Um, and again, trust, which I've alluded to earlier, just a grain of trust here. Um, not narrowing down the values and again values are one of the elements of the imaginal so if I've if I've um, in a in a predetermined preconceived way narrowed down my range of uh, what are acceptable valuables values or what what are uh, what is valuable then that too can um, limit the trust and limit the possibility with regard to emotions as I touched on it earlier Um, sometimes as an emotion is going on and uh, actually we don't see uh, perhaps at the edges or underneath or around it there is love there we're somehow uh, feeling loved or there's love for something or other or love for our uh, selves in allowing ourselves to feel this or love for our sensitivity or, or whatever it is and maybe beauty and sometimes we don't see those elements. And in seeing them in relationship to what I'm feeling right now, difficult as what I'm feeling right now might be, that also can um, allow more possibility, more fermenting of the material um, in the alchemical vessel. Of course, seeing, sensing the beauty and the love, it may be easier um, if, if the emotion uh, becomes... Um, the emotion of an imaginal other. Okay, so I'll, I'll touch on that in in a sec. Um, yeah, let's come back to that in a sec. Um, the uh, so there's different fact. We could probably name some more, but these are some of the uh, 
threads to consider in terms of what kind of, as I said, range. It's not really exactly this one relationship with emotions that's going to give rise to image, but it's a certain range. And in that range, there are lots of possibilities. There are lots of strands to sort of follow. Um, if it's a, a ball of tangled wool, where there's lots of um, threads that we can pick up and just start following and see see if it untangles um, or or create something uh, more helpful, more beautiful, more soul making there with regard to the emotion, and therefore and and also in in regards to generating images. Um, so one of the um, one of the strands there was this um, not reducing not reducing again either consciously or unconsciously so much happens unconsciously uh, that we're not aware of that can actually limit the soul making process so it's really good to shine the light on actually am I doing this what what am, how am I regarding x or y so we just touched on not reducing um, the explanation of this emotion um, to one to just one cause okay because if I do that will that will block uh, will tend to block the image um, especially if that cause is, is is a kind of flatly conceived cause without the dimensionality etc so um, let's just say something about that as well um, you know, of course, just again to, to highlight this thing about unconsciousness, sometimes we don't think, well, I'm not thinking about a causal explanation here. But actually, at some level of our mind, we are. Where the mind has already kind of locked down on a certain explanation, a certain view of why I'm feeling this. Because this happened, or because I'm this way, or because I'm just a no good at whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it's really worth as I said, shining the light, and to unearth, to uncover, uh, to discover how we're viewing things in ways that sometimes we're not aware of. But if we linger on this one about not reducing to one causal explanation, you know, um, if we always or too often um, see interactions, relationships, uh, certain effects of the past, a family, you know, my mom or dad or whatever. Um, if we, if we're if we're too often or, or or always or too often seeing um, certain effects or certain interactions or certain relationships or difficulties or emotions or whatever through the lens of um, this past cause, um, my family, my history, my this or that event, uh, whatever, um, it may many times miss, or such a way of viewing, may many times miss or obliterate uh, what we could say are more primary reasons, in inverted commas, um, and motivations for some affect, some emotion being there, for some response uh, arising in us, for some relational choice or movement. I've, I've decided it's because of this. Um, and it may there may be something um, from a certain paradigm that's actually more primary, more fundamental. So, for example, someone um, not wanting commitment in a certain relationship, or not even wanting intimacy in a certain relationship, or at a certain time, or or more widely, just seem to avoid that, and so easily um, 
a certain explanation comes. Um, oh, you're afraid of intimacy or, or whatever it is. Uh, and that there's a kind of whole psychological paradigm that gets dragged in there. Um, but it may be because of uh, a, an, an attractive pull, a calling uh, to the uh, angel of purity, for example. Someone's called to um, a kind of purity that may involve, for instance, more celibacy for a period. Um, or it may be the pull of the angel towards certain kind of creativity or manifesting certain creative work. Uh, could be many things. In other words, it's not coming from um, an inhibition or a fear that's based on my past. There's a telistic, a, a, a telos operating here. We're actually called to something else. Yes, it has a cost. In this case, I'm, whatever, I'm not open to intimacy. I'm not open to pursuing this relationship or making this commitment to this person or that, or that, uh, whatever it is, other situation or project at work or, or whatever so oh, you're not pulling your weight you're a slacker I may not be a slacker I may not be lazy I might be pulled to something else I might be called to something else I might not be afraid of intimacy I might not be afraid of commitment I just have a commitment to something else I feel called by some other angel um, so some duty or calling other than intimacy in the usual human commonly conceived of uh, psychotherapeutically correct so-called sense uh, a duty other than a calling other than to family or to, so to relationship com commitment or whatever beckons it's not from the past it's from so to speak the future the angel out ahead calling us to something but again if we're not open at least to the range of these possibilities and ideas and sensing and saying what's actually going on with me and my soul and my life and my choices and my inclinations sometimes we lock things down everything gets jammed up and inhibited in the sense of certain possibilities that may be really rich and really soul making are, are uh, not not possible um so again, if we just linger with this, uh, with this question of what what might be in the among the strands of the helpful strands of ways of relating to emotion that allow um, images to arise um, that are fertile, that are potentially imaginal. Sometimes, um, to add to our our, uh, our strands, there sometimes a slight regard of the emotion as anatta, as not-self. It's not me and not mine, this emotion. If I lean too much on that regard for the emotion, um, that's a very, very powerful unfabricating practice. And if I, if I really linger with it, then the emotion will fade, it will go into deep equanimity, and if I, if I just keep going even with the anatta, the equanimity, even that will fade and it will go beyond towards the unfabricated, etc. But with, with, certainly with skill and development with emptiness practices, but even before that, it might be just, just it's possible. You know, don't underestimate what's possible even without certain trainings sometimes. I mean, it might be possible just to a sort of slightly loosening the, the self's appropriation or normal appropriation 
of the emotion normal, regard for the emotion as being me or mine. Of course it's my emotion, we, we, we assume, or we feel, naturally we feel. Of course it's um, maybe who I am or certainly mine, you know. Um, it's just the default normal way, even, again, not even conscious of, of uh, often not even conscious of viewing emotions. Sometimes it's possible, just, can I just see it as not me, not mine? And that loosening, that slight loosening, again, can it's like loosening the the jammed elements, the jammed hardware, loosening the tectonic plates. So, so something waters can the waters of soul can start to flow, um, etc. Of, of soul making can start to flow, and images can uh, uh, be born from from those uh, waters. Um, Sometimes I think I alluded to this a few minutes ago as well. Sometimes uh, we can say I'm feeling an emotion, and it's a difficult emotion, let's say, and uh, grief or anger or heartbreak or sadness or you know could could be anything, um, and frustration, um, and sometimes it's possible rather than just saying. Uh, just a slight loosening with the anatta, not me, not mine, actually um, going a step further and just creating, generating um, uh, either an, or let's say, uh, inviting an image of another. Uh, in other words, an imaginal object who is feeling that emotion. So who is it who's feeling that emotion? So tend to think it's me, but what if we just allow it to constellate, to form, as if we were witnessing some imaginal other um, who feels that emotion. And uh, then there's a tuners. The self who's meditating, practicing and watching, of course the self will still feel some of that emotion, but allowing it to become other, actually again, it, it opens something up. And then we might be able to have a slightly different regard for that other, than we do to ourself. Maybe there's, for instance, I don't immediately get locked down into judgment for that. And I see, oh, there's a kind of nobility in them uh, experiencing that emotion or bearing that emotion. There's a kind of deep sensitivity. And I start to see, wow, how, how beautiful is that, the sensitivity of the soul of this imaginal other that they, that they feel in that way and that they're impacted in that way, back to the vulnerability as being maybe uh, a necessary element. They're able to be impacted, they're open to being um, uh, sensitive and, and perhaps to being wounded. But making it other just creates a bit more space sometimes and that can um, allow a different relationship with the emotion and it's already become image to a certain extent and then it can become... Um, uh, that that image can start, uh, you know, uh, becoming more imaginal, more complex, etc., more rich, more deep, and reveal uh, what it reveals to us, teach us in the way that it teaches, uh, draw us on in the way that it draws us on. Um... So, I mean, related to that, again, is, is, is so worth repeating that the sort of non-linearity and non-formulaic nature necessarily of, I feel, of soul-making work, sensing the soul, imaginal practice. Um, so, especially when we were talking about the 
uh, Dukkha and soul making and those talks and with Catherine and I talked about that um, and we really stressed and stressing today as well the um, the importance of really feeling the emotions and not just feeling them but feeling them within within a certain range or with these different strands and um, feeling them in a way that's supportive but actually feeling them being with them um, allowing them recognizing them uh, etc and and then out of that as one supportive ingredient or factor or condition uh, in the alchemical process, then an image arises. Um, but again, the the absence of formula or my suspicion of, of uh, with regard to, to sort of formulaic solutions and uh, uh, it's always like this. There's always an order you do it in like this. First the emotion and then the image. Sometimes as I as I've um, uh, just alluded to a couple of times, sometimes um, an image comes or we generate an image and it leads to an emotion or it liberates an emotion, an emotion that was stuck or felt uh, like it's definitely there, it's an emotion but it's all a bit compacted or I'm just looping with it in in a certain way. Um, the image itself, of course, uh, again, because of the dependent arising, because of the multi, uh, multi-aspected uh, multi, multi-elemented nature of the imaginal. Um, the image can uh, give rise to emotion, can liberate an emotion, or can transform an emotion. And something can almost move to the opposite emotion, or move to the same emotion as I said before. But it's got dimensions now, and it's got space, and there's something beautiful and liberating about it. And we wouldn't want to trade it for anything, despite the dukkha that might still be in it. As something sacred and precious and feels really right and feels really necessary for the soul. So, yes, very often, emotion first. Make sure, am I allowing it? Am I recognizing it? Am I feeling it? Am I relating to it in ways that are not blocking the uh, soul-making process and the birth of images? Emotion first, then the possibility of image arises. Sometimes the other way around. Uh, the presence of an image uh, or, or the um, deliberate instigation of an image or the recall of an image um, that we, that's been helpful before um, actually uh, either gives rise to a certain emotion or, or liberates uh, an emotion or insoles an emotion or transforms it. All of that. Um, sometimes uh, what happens uh, is, is that we don't actually realize an emotion is present and things are a bit jammed up um, but uh, again the way of being with the emotion can uh, liberate an image that's helpful then in the whole process or an image comes and it's uh, and it helps the, the emotion. So I'll give you one example. So a person uh, came for an interview and they were a bit stuck with a situation in their life. Actually, they were, they were quite stuck, really. Um, or, or I say more unsure than stuck. They were really unsure. And it had to do with their invitation to join a collaborative creative project, a writing project. And they also presented this image. Um, the image was of a mule 
resisting uh, with all its strength and determination, uh, resisting the pull of a rope on it. So you couldn't see in the image what's the rope attached to, and who's pulling it, and why, etc. It was just this mule with this a rope, uh, you know, pulling it one way. But it's you know the way mules and horses and uh, such can do sometimes. They just they just stand in this way that they're actually kind of unbudgeable. Um, so all its strength and determination are resisting um, this, the pull of this rope. So uh, she was baffled by the image, um, but it felt important. And um, and I, actually my initial uh, response was, well, I have no idea, you know, which is often the case. Sometimes people describe images or dreams and I'm just initially just baffled and sort of a bit daunted by it. Um, but we, we we were talking about it. Um, she felt that there was some connection between um, the possible the invitation to collaborate on on this writing project um, and the image. But you know, we can be, as I've said uh, before, very. We have to be careful with. Um, literalizing and also the scope of our intention so the you know the fullness of intention that note that element means i don't just want to rush in for this uh, to this working with this image what does it mean what does it imply what does it tell me to do give it give me guidance um so you know we can recognize such a intention because guidance may well be part of what's going on in an image, you know, specific guidance in relation to a specific choice or whatever, maybe part of what's there in the imaginal. But if I, again, reduce it to that's what the image means, and I'm I'm relating to this image for the sake of personal guidance in in my life, um, then then that tends to shrink things and not allow the full blossoming uh, of of the imaginal. And the soul making. Um, so here's this image, and I uh, guided her gently to um, enter into. Is it is it possible to enter into the bodily experience of the mule? Here's this mule standing there, its sort of feet planted, and uh, and resisting with all its all its strength and determination. Can you? Meditate on the image, and in this moment, with your energy body, with your bodily sensibility, can you feel that the mule's bodily experience? Uh, And in doing that, um, she began to feel, uh, the the, the yogi began to feel the kind of strength and determination and uh, alignment there by just almost like putting herself or feeling into, sensing into the mule's, the mule's body. So what happened was strength, determination, a sense of strength, determination, alignment came in her. I also sensed at that point something, something of the heart is involved here, and it's not immediately obvious yet, but something of the heart. So it's like, okay, very gently, can you include the energy body experience and and the emotional experience, the heart there. So we're back to the emotions. What's what's the heart feeling? Um, and she said, "Oh, power, power." And I could feel it. You know, this is why it helped me sort of guide the questions here. There's there's tremendous power here. Don't rush 
Don't rush. Linger there. Let it fill. Let that feeling of power fill, uh, fill you, fill the energy body, fill the heart and, and the being. Um, very often, again, we're back to where I started with, very often feelings of power uh, are not, they're not, it's not common for people to actually feel power. I don't mean power over another or bad power. I mean just power in the being, power in the energy body, power in the soul, power as the ability to do, power as a sort of um, gathering and harmonizing of one's energies. It's actually quite rare um, and maybe sometimes even more rare in some Dharma cultures where power is too close to the possibility of abuse of power or anger or that kind of thing, so that very often people are not accustomed to even to allowing it, to letting it come into the being, to recognizing it, certainly not to lingering it and feeling it and letting it coalesce and letting it shape um, the whole experience of body and self. Because that was actually what I asked her next. It was, does the self become involved um, or become image? So um, from the energy body sense or via the energy body sense, ignited by this energy body sense of power, this unfamiliar energy body sense of power, um, an image of self comes up arrives. Uh, comes up um, uh, or is allowed. So instead of, again, the usual range of how one feels and senses and conceives of oneself, because there's a different experience here, the experience that originally was not seen as mine because it was in the mule. And it, 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 it seems like other. Uh, and then feeling into that, feeling it first in the energy body, lingering, slowing down, including the heart, including the body, um, uh, letting it fill, letting it fill the energy body, the feet planted on the ground, and, and the fullness of that, uh, the beauty of that power, really. And then it's allowed, it's allowed then to ferment, to um, spawn uh, a, a, an imaginal sense of self, as, in this case, powerful, strong, and the words with so much integrity, so integrity has a lot to do with power as well. So when we're split, when we're not honest to ourselves, not aligned with ourselves, we lose our power. Power and alignment, harmonization, integrity, all these things go together. So much integrity. So again, this was, um, in some respects, in some domains, new experience of self. Um, uh, to me, it looked... Um, uh, it looked very beautiful. There was a beauty in this. Again, in a way, I pointed that out at that point, and that's not to um, praise myself, it's more to, more to make the point of um, how so often we're so unaccustomed to all this that we don't see the beauty, and specifically the, the beauty of ourselves, our own beauty, the beauty of this imaginal sense of self, the beauty of this new experience of self. And love there, and love of this self, and again, for so many, it's such a struggle to uh, really love the self deeply and, and, and know, one's, uh, know deeply one's deep beauty, for the self to become uh, uh, a beloved erotic uh, object for oneself. How rare, how very rare in our culture. Um, so just gently pointing out, can you actually see, how feel how beautiful uh, this this sense of self is, this imaginal self. 
yourself and, and the love of this self. So there's multidimensionality there, there's mystery, all that's wrapped up in it. And again, uh, again we're back to pacing, the necessity with these, kind, these kinds of openings to, to really uh, linger and go slowly, and particularly, in this case, with the elements that are new, especially the love and, and, and the, the self-love and, and the beauty of, of, of um, sensing the beauty of self. Um, and, you know, even in the process, one can fall out of that, oh, the energy body uh, awareness shrunk, oh, uh, feet planted on the floor, etc., and that connection. Um, but there's a kind of uh, a mist or a constellation of all, all these beauties and all these qualities that, that coalesces there, that condenses there, and one sort of in that mist, that holy cloud of, uh, mystical cloud of all this... Um, all these elements of the of the imaginal, one's sitting in it, one is it, they're part of the fabric of one's being at that point. And then maybe, and again, taking care with the pacing, what happens then if we introduce um, the, uh, the notion of reflection and mirroring, the infinite echoing, infinite mirroring, and we introduce... Um, uh, put together uh, the, this self-image, this imaginal self, with the narrative of your life, past and future. Because at that point, it was just me right now with this different sense of self, and it's not really connecting to the story and the narrative of years and decades, perhaps years and decades of difficulty and choices, or feeling strange because of this or that, or alienated, or whatever it is. What happens is, just very gently, we put... Um, I don't know how to say it. It's like we 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 put in 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 neighbourhood of each other, in the vicinity of each other, um, just gently the this self image, this imaginal self sense, and the whole narrative of one's life, past and future. And of course, the future is unknown, but just the sense of a narrative moving into the future. So that's a that's a real um, possibility. Again, uh, the importance of um, including the narrative sense in a lot of imaginal uh, work, not as a rarefied, fixated thing, but as something again that can be opened up, stretched, uh, dimensionalized, divinized, even through the alchemical process of um, of of the sensing the soul. Then, you know, maybe um, we might introduce the idea or the possibility of this particular creative project into into relationship uh, with with this imaginal constellation, energetic constellation, uh, state of the soul, perspective on the soul. Introduce into the um, vicinity of that with the energy body sense, with the self-image. And from that came a different relationship and a, and a kind of freedom in relationship to this invitation to collaborate. Freedom not to participate, but also recognizing the beauty of it, the importance of it, the love of it, the duty perhaps. Um, 
but it's coming from a very different place now with a different self-sense and the power and the integrity. Uh, this freedom not to do it, to be involved in that project, not to be pulled in an unhealthy, unconscious way, in a limited way, not to need to prove myself or to seem important because I'm part of such a project. So there's an important navigational principle in that. Um, the image uh, allowing a certain emotion or uh, opening up the possibility for a certain emotional sense, certain self-sense and all that. Um, there's another one which I'd like to point out um, regarding to navigate, the art of navigating within with an image or in the territory of the imaginal or sensing the soul. Um, and it's the importance of going um, via the energy body, which we always emphasize. But here in particular, um, here's this puzzling image, and it's really a very, uh, it looks like a very limited image. Where's the dynamic element in the image. Where is the power in the image? Um, so at first you can say, well, nothing's happening in the image. It's just static. It's stuck. It doesn't even seem to have a context, etc. But how does the mule's body feel in all its strength and all its determination? The dynamism was locked there. The power was locked there. Um, I think what's more important here is the dynamic elements. Something that looks very static and very stuck, this mule just resisting uh, a pull from a, a, an anonymous rope puller, um, um, actually had a lot of potential dynamism. And dynamism means that which can move things on. And so going in that way, sensing, where is the... And again, it's not formulaic, it was just an intuition in the moment. Um, but we might raise it as something to consider. You know, where's the dynamic? So we say, where's the soul-making element? Where's the immediately soulful element? That may not always be obvious, but it might be that there's something that holds a kind of dynamism, and it may be locked, it may not be obvious or apparent at first. Um, there's the, the, a, a potentially dynamic element, and then going into it and feeling it, entering into it and lingering and allowing it, allowing the alchemical process to do its work, with the appropriate sort of sensitive, responsive pacing, then actually that locked dynamism became actually dynamic and um, put into dynamic motion the whole soul-making imaginal process. So then things could move and the whole self-sense, etc., as I've described. Uh, so that's different than asking, what does this mule mean? What does this image mean? How can it guide me? I'm actually going by something uh, rather than... Uh, I'm going by what's alive in the image. And again, in this case, uh, what had a lot of dynamism but wasn't apparent. It's different than asking, what, what is this image telling me to do in this situation? What's the guidance here? What does this mule mean? Yeah. Okay, so... As I said, these are things to consider, maybe to practice with, maybe to reflect on, to inquire into. Different pieces will be relevant for different people at different time, as always. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
dot org slash donate.